Hello, my name is Roger Henderson, and I'm a GP in Southwest Scotland, and I also co-host the GP Notebook Study Groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So do please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, and we really hope you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups, and also at Roger the Doctor if you want to follow me there too. Finally, you can visit gpnotebook.com for podcast episode show notes and to find out more about our upcoming study group meetings. Now, this episode has been been requested by a listener, and as always, GP Notebook is really keen to hear your opinions and requests. So do please contact us for suggestions for future episodes. Our last podcast was on hemorrhoids, again requested by a listener, and this one is in a similar way on anal fissures. Now, anal fissures are essentially a tear in the mucosa of the anal canal, and that's just inside the anal margin, and it is common and extremely painful. Fortunately, most respond well to conservative treatment without the need for surgery. It's difficult to say exactly how many people suffer from anal fissures in their lifetime, but we think about 1 in 10 is a good estimate. This can, can occur at any age, including children, but it is most common between the ages of about 20 and 45. Men and women seem to be equally affected, and acute fissures seem to be much more common than chronic fissures. Now, what do I mean by acute and chronic? Well, acute anal fissures are present for six weeks or less, whereas chronic fissures are present for more than six weeks. And we also sometimes classify these as primary or secondary. Now, primary fissures, there is no obvious cause that we can find, whereas secondary fissures are due to an apparent underlying condition. And I suppose constipation would be a classic example of this. Now, the etiology of primary anal fissures, why they happen without any obvious cause, isn't very clear, but they do appear to be associated with tight anal sphincter muscles. Fortunately, primary fissures do seem to be benign, whereas secondary fissures tend to be more multiple. Now, we've all seen patients with anal fissures, and the diagnosis we normally make very easily on history and physical examination. And although investigations can be sometimes necessary, for most of our patients, we don't need to do them. The classic history is of significant anal pain on defecation. And many people say it's like passing broken glass. And this proctalgia fujax pain after passing stool can persist for minutes or even hours. Occasionally, there may be bright red bleeding uh, after passing stools or on the toilet paper. So, as always, we'd be taking a thorough history and we'd be looking at any change in bowel habit, any associated symptoms, and any red flag symptoms, obviously. Even if someone presents with an anal fissure, 
we must not turn our minds off to the possibility that other pathology may be present. So, if you're looking at someone with an anal fissure, it's usually a slight linear split of the mucosa, and you just gently part the buttocks, and then if anal spasm is a problem, then a very slight pressure on the margin of the anus may help visualize it. Remember that most fissures are in the midline and posterior. I think it's very important here to say, if at all possible, please do not do a digital rectal examination, as this can be excruciatingly painful and will do um, your relationship with that patient no good at all. If you think that a DRA may be needed, then reserve it for later once it's been treated. Now, if you've got an acute fissure, these look clear, edged, and they tend to be linear. Chronic fissures may be associated with external skin tags, and they're often deeper. So, as I say, diagnosis is essentially clinical. There are differential diagnoses, although most of the time the diagnosis is clear. Um, thrombosed hemorrhoids can cause the same degree of discomfort, but they are obviously apparent. Proctitis, especially on someone with inflammatory bowel disease, and sometimes perianal sepsis. To treat and manage anal fissures, if we look at primary anal fissures first, these tend to be very simple. So keep the stools regular and soft. Make sure they're drinking enough fluid. Make sure they're taking enough fibre in the diet. And use bulk-forming laxatives in adults. Treat any underlying conditions if you think any are, are present, but treat the pain because most patients presenting really want something doing about the pain. So obvious, simple analgesics, paracetamol or ibuprofen, obviously avoiding codeine-based analgesics because of the risk of constipation. And if someone's got active bleeding, I would tend to say avoid anti-inflammatories as well. Warm baths can be very helpful two to three times a day, as can GTN ointment, because GTN relaxes smooth muscle and so reduces anal tone. And there have been Cochrane reviews that have looked at GTN for anal fissure treatments, and they do suggest it is more effective than placebo. Unfortunately, they can cause headaches, and you must advise the patients, if you're giving them GTN ointment for an anal fissure, that they may experience headaches, and these can be quite significant. And about one in three people using GTN topically can report significant headaches. Topical anaesthetics can be helpful. It's things like lidocaine before someone opens their bowels, but do not use this chronically. Only use this for a maximum of 10 to 14 days. Personally, when I'm talking about referral, um, I refer children very quickly here, um, usually within a couple of weeks if things haven't healed. But with adults, I tend to try and give it six to eight weeks before um, referring if ongoing pain hasn't settled. If you've got someone who has recurring anal fissures, despite all their best efforts, they do everything they can to help themselves, but they still have recurring fissures, then I would refer those. And then if I've got someone with an anal fissure, even if they have no symptoms, but they are still causing them problems after four months of presentation, I would tend to refer those. 
Now, if we refer to secondary care, there are options we can use here as well, which are slightly different to primary care. And I suppose I'm thinking of things like diltiazem, topically, and calcium channels generally can be really helpful here. So topical uh, calcium channel blockers, they cause vasodilation and some smooth muscle relaxation. And for me, the benefits compared to GTN is they tend to cause less headaches. Nifedipine orally can be helpful. And I say orally because it isn't available topically at the moment in the UK. Also in secondary care, botulinum toxin can be used, um, but it's currently unlicensed, but specialists do use this. Um, and they often can be helpful in this before you need surgery. If I, in an ideal world, we would try and prevent our patients from having surgery, but sometimes we have no option. And the procedure of choice really here is a lateral internal sphincterotomy. This gives a very good cure rate of over 80% and certainly generally more effective than medical management overall. However, two things about this. It's a very painful procedure post-operatively and there can be issues with incontinence post-operatively. And this is not small numbers. About 30% of people tend to be incontinent of wind and there is some about one in five who report soiling. So when all medical intervention has failed, lateral internal sphincterotomy can be really helpful and open and close approaches seem to work well. But you must advise patients and the consultant should be advising the patients there are potential post-operative problems as well. Occasionally fissurectomies are performed, sometimes in association with botulinum toxin in injections. And certainly when I was a medical student, we were taught about doing manual anal stretches for treatments of chronic fissures. But Cochrane reviews do now suggest that we shouldn't be doing this for any management of chronic anal fissures. Uh, the cure rates really don't seem to be that good. Now, fortunately, most acute anal fissures tend to resolve within two to four weeks with conservative management. And although it's extremely painful for a patient pres presenting with an anal fissure, you do have the good news to give them that they should, with a following wind, um, have a good result within two to four weeks. Unfortunately, recurrence can occur. And about half of the people that we treat with topical ointments, such as GTN, do report um, a recurrence at some point. Non-operative management, things like warm baths, high-fibre diets, pharmacological treatments we've discussed, about one in two patients with anal fissures, just by using those simple measures, they'll heal as well. And if you're looking at secondary fissures, rather than primary fissures, then the prognosis really depends on the underlying conditions. If you've got someone who's had a lateral internal sphincterotomy, then the prognosis is really good with a high cure rate and a low risk of recurrence. But again, I come to the, back to the problems of potential continence issues with such a procedure. So that's a quick overview about anal fissures and I hope that's just reminded you about what we should be doing with our patients if they present with one in primary care. Thank you so much for listening to it and I do hope you found it helpful but do have a look at the show notes 
that accompany this episode at gpnotebook.com, I'd be really grateful if you consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Do feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email us support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts such as this one. You should also visit us at gpnotebook.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and to download free shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. But until the next time, as always, goodbye. Thank you.